You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hello everyone, welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news and the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. We are going around the world this Monday the 1st of November for it is a truly international week. We'll be talking Melbourne Cup, we'll be talking Breeders' Cup which takes place at the end of this week. That is where the regular host of this podcast, Nick Luck, is currently out at Del Mar. Uh, First of all, though, we'll be reflecting on a brilliant weekend of national hunt racing from either side of the Irish Sea. That we is RTE and RTV broadcaster Jane Mangan, who was at Down Royal this weekend for a stunning renewal of the Labrooks Champion Chase. Jane, what was it like to be there in the flesh? You know what, it, it, sometimes races promise uh, much and, you know, they don't deliver, but this really, really did. And I know we're going to talk about the Melbourne Cup and the Breeders' Cup, but this really, for me, marked the start of the National Hunt season proper because we had five runners, all of them previous Shelton Festival winners, a Gold Cup winner, a King George winner, and two National Hunt Chase winners. And it was genuinely an epic renewal of the Champion Chase. Bryony Frost came over having never ridden it down royal before and she played her rivals like an accordion. And I say that because at various parts of the race, it looked like Manila Indo and Delta Work and Galvin were struggling to lie up with the pace she was setting. And then two or three fences later, they were all stacked up. She was giving, filling up Frodon, giving him breeders at various parts of the race and, and just held enough in reserve for those last two fences, which were crucial. Like he did in the King George, Frodon jumped fractionally to his left, um, which indicated, I think, Minnelindo was going up his inside uh, two out because he was anticipating, or Rachel was anticipating that Frodon would jump a little bit left. But it didn't matter. She was absolutely brilliant on him. There, It's well publicised. Everybody thinks they're just a match made in heaven anyway. But I thought that ride around that track was just everything that we have to look forward to for the season ahead. And before we hear from Paul Nichols, which we'll do very shortly, did you think Manella Indo, last year's or last season's Gold Cup winner, did anything to dent his credentials for later on in the season and later targets? I really don't. And if I'm honest, if you, have, if you had seen him in the flesh down Royal, you'd be kind of confident that he will be turning the tables with much of those opposition because Frodon, we all know, was primed for this race and for the King George. I know Paul Nichols has said many times that he was going to be 100% fit for Down Royal. And Galvin, of course, had the benefit of a run at Punchestown. Minilindo has a target and it's much later than October. Uh, physically, he looked like he would need the run. And I think he ran very well to be there two out. And when he was quite visibly beaten, he wasn't uh, knocked around. So I think... For the gold, fans of the Gold Cup uh, winner, there is lots more to come. And interesting to see where they go because Henry, of course, has Abu Tar as well. Will one of them go to Kempton? It seems like Minilindo is very much in the mix for a, a crack of the King George. So he could meet Frodon in the not too distant future. And I spoke to Paul Nichols late last night, uh, started by asking what it was like watching on from Weatherby. We 
just had the surname, and then you know I could hear the uh, the, the racers on the commentary at Weatherby, and everyone was listening to it. But there was a bit of a delay on the screen, so I managed to watch it on somebody's phone, um, and it was really exciting. Obviously, um, just amazing horse to watch when he puts performances in like that. And uh, as I said, we had him really tuned up for the job. Brian again, a great ride, and it was just oh, just awesome to watch. And the roar he got at Weatherby was like second. That was fantastic as well. I understand it was the same. Everyone roaring him on Asker, so it was brilliant. I hear he got a pretty good reception at, at Dam Royal, given that he was over. That's great. Yeah. I think testament to him, given he's he's in he's in their backyard, you know, down in the colours of a Gold Cup winner. So it just shows what a popular horse he is, Paul. Amazing horse, yeah. And the Dam Royal crowd are fantastic. We've been there now. We won that race five times. The people are, uh, and the, the the team at Dam Royal were brilliant. Looked after the horse, the, the owners. Couldn't have been more helpful for to get us out there. And um, you know, it was. It was just one of those magical days, and I know Paul Vogt, who owns him, is very, very proud of the horse, and um, quite rightly. Is it next stop King George, or is there something else in between? No, I mean, he's going to take a day or two to get over that. He was knackered this morning when he got back from, from he was here at Seastrugal this morning, and, you know, um, he, he'll just have a couple of three weeks quiet. Um, he's soon tell you when he's ready to start working again, he's at, and he'll go straight to Kempton. So we've got a nice bit of time to, to, just to get him right for that. Was he, I mean, absolutely 100% fit, Paul, of, of yesterday as we're, we're doing this on Sunday evening or as close to that as you could get him? Without a race, obviously, yeah. I mean, Galvin had obviously had a run and he was he was race fit. Um, you know, we had taken him for an away day. Um, we'd worked him hard from the minute he came in and that was his, you know, that was his target. We weren't going to go over there needing a run. It's, you know, that's the, that's what it's all about. If you go in those championship races, you've got to be ready and ready to win. So, yeah, I think I don't think there was too much improvement to come from that run, mm. to be honest with you. Um, and then to, to surname, look, I'm, I'm sure, first of all, you, you and the mm. team were ultimately very disappointed. Have, what, what, have you come to any conclusions yet? Well, I've just been talking to Johnny, and we're not going to make any knee-jerk reaction. We're just going to just take uh, a few tests and have a look and see. I, I was disappointed in the fact that I thought we had him really well. He looked fantastic. He was up for it, as you saw yesterday. If anything, he was a bit too too fresh. Perhaps if we'd have taken him somewhere for a race course gallop a fortnight ago, might have just took the freshness off him. But with the ground, as it's been a bit quick, we couldn't do that. And he just ran... In, Whatever he was going to do, he ran too free for the first two and a half miles of the race, even if he had a wind problem or not. He was just too free and too fresh, and, and obviously Harry Skelton sat up behind him, so you were never able to get a breather into him. Um, yeah, three runs have been a bit disappointing now, but he's been showing us so much at home and he looks so good. I'm just going to talk to Jeff Lane tomorrow and just see if there's anything else we can do or just perhaps think of doing something different with him once, perhaps save something like a Peterborough chase on a flat, easy trap, but not quite so far, and just drop him in a little bit and try and ride him settled rather than doing so much and being so exuberant from the front. He's mm. doing what he did yesterday. He's not going to finish his races with the situation when we need him to relax and breathe. And, I mean, is his wind always going to be some sort of a problem going forward, do you think? Is that not something you can actively solve? It's been a problem all his life. Um, it, that's why and we had that golden spell with him for, for whatever reason, I don't know. He, he was able to sustain the gallop that he was doing when he won, won the two Asuka races, when he beat Altior. But, uh, you know, ultimately, it doesn't year on year. It's not always the same. I mean, is, we've done as much as what we, I think we can do with his breathing. I just need to talk to Jeff Lane tomorrow. Mm. And as I said, well, Johnny and I are going to reflect on it over the week and make a decision at some stage whether we give him one more run 
or we we call call it quits. You know, he, the thing is, he's only nine and he knows what he's doing. And, mm. You know, I I really felt he'd go away yesterday. I just was disappointed at how free he ran and how exuberant he was. Like first time out, he was almost a bit too fresh. So we're just going to you know reflect on it and think about it seriously, and then sort of some stage or another make some sort of decision what we're going to do in the next week or so. And then um, Tuesday, you, you've got um, two lively candidates in the in the Howden Gold Cup. They're the they're the two top weights, but there's seventeen pound between them. That's Hitman and and, and Grenatine. Um, he's 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 lumping a fair bit of weight around there. Grenatine was it was this always the starting point defending his crown? Well, I, I think it's. I mean, what we're trying to do is getting ready for the Tingle Creek, and I think it's a great prep race for the Tingle Creek. You know, with him rated one hundred and sixty-eight, we haven't got too many options, and. He is a horse who improves for a run, and he's always very fresh. He, before we ran him in the Queen Mother Champion Chase and Celebration Chase, he ran in the game spirit and was far, far too free. And that just took the freshness off him, and he ran very well at Cheltenham and at Sandown. And I think he needs that prep run to put him right for the Tingle Creek and just take, the, take that edge off him. So the only possible race, and I've always found this is a good prep for the Tingle Creek, is to run him in the Horden Gold Cup. Mm-hmm. Now, he is in good shape, and he won't run too bad, but to win off 168 is near impossibility. And to give Hitman 17 pound, I think, is even harder. But, you know, as I said, there's not too many races as a prep for the Tingle Creek other than this, so we've got to go there. So this is a very different approach for him compared to 12 months ago when he was, you know, stepping out of novice company, see how good he could be. This is working back from a Tingle Creek. Yeah, exactly. And he was ready for it last year. He was, you know, obviously nicely handicapped. Um, again, he just needed it a fraction then, and, he, and then he improved, and he, he ran mm-hmm. some solid races. He was second in the Tingle Creek, but he, he just kept on improving. He's just got to learn to relax a little bit, and the point of having a run actually will help him. And, you know, the Hitman's almost in the same situation was as, as this horse was this, this time last year. You know, just at another stage, hopefully got a nice mark, and hopefully he'll run well. Uh, and he's had his wind done, Paul Hitman, has he? Which only cauterised his palate. He wasn't anything serious yet. He's just he, he, he didn't you know he didn't have a big off. It's just you know he'd always run in the tongue tie, and we just cauterised his palate. That was all. Paul, really appreciate your time. Good luck Tuesday, and and, and well done again with Frodon on Saturday. Lovely stuff. Thank you. Anytime. So Paul Nichols was watching from Weatherby, where we had the Bet365 Charlie Hall chase, and uh, perhaps not an epic renewal as far as the finish went, but it was certainly high on drama, surname pulling up for the third uh, consecutive time, and Paul Nichols saying that still no decision has been made exactly to his future. I get the impression there will be one more roll of the dice just to see if they can get him right, because he seems fresh and happy in himself at home. Jane, what did you make of Chamblou coming down three out in respect to the, the, the type of fall it was? Was it just one of those things? I suppose any horse can fall and the way he kind of came up too early, landed in the middle of it and took a very heavy fall. He was very lucky to walk away from that. I suppose with Chamblou last year, he was a grade one winning novice, a very, very exciting horse. And I thought in the marsh, I just wonder why uh, they make so much use of him. And again, I was surprised five out and that they kicked on and whether it's a very long home straight there. And I suppose, look, a jockey is looking ahead. We have the benefit of a camera angle where we see the entire field. He was so far clear. And um, I know Dan Skelton said on the program yesterday, look on Sunday, that maybe Harry didn't anticipate uh, the turn of foot that Sean Blue showed. But you should, I suppose, ride a class horse like a class horse. And he has, I think, stepped forward again from his novice year. Uh, obviously, future targets are definitely going to be <laughs> King George or a Hennessy, now known as the Ladbroke Trophy. But um, I was, I was in hindsight thinking this guy could have literally just sat still and the horse would have coasted home. 
home. It didn't happen. That's the benefit of hindsight. Now going forward, I think a, te- a, a crack at the handicap is just going to be so tempting, Tom, because he's now going to be, what, 148? He's like, he had Fussel Raffles, looked like he was well wrapped up and he's going to be getting four pounds from him if he were to reoppose. So Shamblue's a really exciting horse. I hope this isn't the, going to dent his confidence going forward. You can never, ever tell. It was a very, very heavy fall. And just one side note, I said Down Royal promised a lot and it delivered. The Charity Hall didn't really because the best horse in the race fell and the other horse, surname, the horse that we've spoken about so many times, if a horse can't breathe, it's, it's just such a, a frustration for our connections because they've tried everything and it's just nothing they can do about it. And I know a horse might seem happy and healthy, but if they can't breathe, then that is... Uh, it's it's not a good feeling. I can only imagine for a horse that is frightening. Yes, I think the the, the plan is is if they do run him again is to is to come back in trip and hope he settles a bit better and that helps his breathing at the end of the race. But I mean, interesting for Paul to say it's always been a problem for him, but seemingly now more so than ever. Um, just on um, Chamblou, um, if anybody didn't see luck on Sunday yesterday. Uh, Dan Skelton did say that he felt the horse, given the horse's constitution, he's confident it wouldn't dent his confidence. But of course, you never know. And I also got the impression that he really wants to go for the Labrooks Trophy of 148. Now, he said if it's a 20-runner field, he'd be less inclined to go. If it's a 10-runner field, he'd be more inclined to go. A few years ago, we had only 12 runners when Sizing Tennessee won it. And Jane, if you've got a horse who you know, you think, you know, he's off a, a career high mark and he's going to be taking on a horse in Chamblou in a Labrix Trophy who's effectively a stone well in. You might think, well, do we really want to line up there? I mean, it, there's just a chance because of Chamblou's participation. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy that it that it's not the biggest field. I, I, I think they, I think he'll end up running there, to be honest. I do too. Like, at the end of the day, it's, it is a handicap. He's going to be, uh, he's going to be well treated. In contrast, if he opts to go for a King George, he's likely to meet a Gold Cup winner, former King George winner. He's going to meet proper heavyweights. So he's a second season novice, and I think that's the logical way to go. But let's be honest, he needs to pass a few tests at home before then. And let's hope everybody will learn from the experience of Weatherby. Right. Um, the Willie Mullins stable tour has landed in the racing post. And you can ask the questions now, Jane, because this, you, you wanted us to pick out a couple of horses each. So, do you, want, you, yes. do you want to go first? Every, every year, Tom, I open Willie Mullins' stable tour and I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's not as strong as last year. Gordon has more good young horses. And this year is the first time where I've just been like, champion, future star, so much potential. So I'm going to ask you, Tom, we're going to, both going to say this. If you could own two horses for the coming season from the WP Mullins yard, which two would you pick? Well, the first one I'd have would be Appreciate It. Who... Logical choice. Thank you. He's... <laughs> You're framing that as up as if you think my next one is illogical. Um, appreciate It, he says he's going to go over fences. That seems obvious. Um, he, he really started the, the, the Irish tone at the festival last year, winning the Supreme effectively on the bridle. Um, I hope they stay to the minimum with him. I, for all, he's always been talked of as a horse that will get further. Um, he looks like he wants a fence, and I think he is hugely exciting um, off the back of what he did last season. Some might say that the two-and-a-half-mile novice hurdle division was a little bit stronger, but, and perhaps it was. But he, he, he'd be the one of the, the, the Mullins novice chasers I'd want. 
and um, I wanted to pick an older horse just to even it out. But I would, I've got a real soft spot for Shaq and Poursois, who I think has unfinished business at Cheltenham. For whatever reason, maybe the way they rode him at, at Cheltenham last year, it didn't seem to work out in the, in the Queen Mother Champion chase. But I think he, obviously, they'll work back from that. And I, I don't think it was the track. I, I, I just think it was a, an off day. Look at what he did subsequently. I, I, I have confidence that he'll, he'll go back and, and he will win that race next year. But yeah, I've, I've got a real soft spot for him. I think from when I was at, at Punchestown a few years ago and off the back of a bit of an absence, he absolutely dotted up there. So he'd be my other one. I love how you validated your choice before I could get a chance to laugh at it. Go on, what? It just of all, the, of all the options I had, why am I going for a... I don't know how I old he is now. What is he, a 10-year-old? How old is he? He's nine rising 10, like album photo. But I suppose we're all suckers for going in with novices and potential. And I just feel an ergamine might be the fly in his ointment this year over the two-mile distance. But they mightn't meet until March, so there's plenty of races to be won. Do you want to know my two? Yeah, please. Go on. Who are your two? Uh, some, some young bucks, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we have some young bucks. I am a huge Kilcroft fan. I was disappointed when he got beaten in the champion bumper. I thought it was a false pace that beat him and Sir Gerhard got a free lead on the front end. And he duly turned it around at uh, Punchestown. And Kilcroft probably fits into the appreciated bracket where everybody thinks he'll be an Alba Bartlett horse. But I don't believe he's slow. Just go back to that performance at Leopardstown. Remind everybody that he's an absolute machine. And Fernie Hollow. You're going novice chasing with appreciated. I'm going novice chasing with the bump, champion bumper winner, Fernie Hollow. He'd won one over hurdles. He beat a certain Bob Ollinger, who turned out to be pretty darn good last year. And I think this guy's a point-to-point winner. He should only actually benefit for going over fences. But the whole stable tour is a little bit frightening if I was a different trainer. Do you, do you remember a few years ago when Michael O'Leary took his horses away and, and there was this sort of, ooh, you know, how will, how will Willie Mullins cope with such a, a big owner? not having horses with him anymore and, and then you look at you know what? pages like this that and you just, go he'll be all right that just shows you how um how small-minded we are to think that willie mullins is going to struggle when one owner left like honestly uh, agreed i think he'll be all right this season um yeah it's a, an extensive stable tour from the willie mullins yard in the racing post uh right just um we should really acknowledge the, the irish flat champions at nace yesterday they were crowned um colin Keane champion Jockey champion apprentice Dylan Brown at Monagal. Unsurprisingly, shock horror. Aidan O'Brien won it again. I think there's only been a couple of years in the last 25 he hasn't won it as the champion trainer. And Sue Magnia picked up the prize for the top owners. Um, the top word goes to Colin Keane. For sure, finishing his season on 1 4 1. He has been the model of consistency all year. Uh, he's I think, getting back on Tarnawa at the Breeders' Cup. This guy is um, one of the best jockeys in the world. Certainly the best jockey in Ireland. And he's a pleasure. He has been a pleasure to watch all year. And uh, a special word for Dylan Brown McMonagall as well. He's been running away with the Apprentice Championship all year. He's a star of the future. He's associated and attached to Joseph O'Brien, who, of course, has Shane Cross, Declan McDonough and various other riders riding for him. But Dylan Brown will certainly hold his own going forward. Right, time now to talk all things Melbourne Cup. Here's our preview in association with HBA Media. HBA Media is the leading media rights agency distributing horse racing events such as this Melbourne Cup, Royal Ascot, the Saudi Cup, the Breeders' Cup, the Pegasus World Cup and more to a global audience. Here's Jim McGrath. Well, a nation braces itself. It's Cup Day in Australia 
an official public holiday in Melbourne, and it may as well be for the rest of the country too. In most places, they work to lunchtime, then go to the pub for a good lunch, have a few bets, and then after lunch, settle down to watch the Cup. That's the Melbourne Cup we're talking about, the 161st running of the now world-famous two-mile handicap, worth a total of £4.35 million, with the first prize of £2.47 million. As we know, this is a huge week in international racing. Breeders' Cup at the weekend, and just to get us in overseas mode, the Melbourne Cup run at 4am Tuesday, UK time, or if you happen to be listening to this podcast from Del Mar, 9pm Monday night. 24 runners in the Cup at Flemington, not the same depth as in recent years. COVID and tough vet checking have seen to that, but plenty of talking points. Only two internationals, last year's winner Twilight Payment and Spanish Mission, the game stayer who gave Stradivarius a real fright at York. Two internationals down from eight last year. Actually, we've gone full circle on this. 28 years ago, Vintage Crop lined up for Ireland and drum taps for Britain. Two overseas horses taking on the Aussies. And it all started from there, really. The big news today, and a little bit surprising it is too, is that Joseph O'Brien is flying down for the race. Joseph has already won the Cup twice. How old is he? By the way, 28 a training prodigy, unquestionably. Anyway, it's surely a sign of stable confidence that the young man is heading down under. That's considering the hoops you have to jump through, even as Australia is opening up with the recent lifting of COVID restrictions. Twilight Payment has plenty going for him. The ground will be as quick as it was last year. He's pleased Joseph's men on the ground at Werribee, and he has drawn perfectly for the job ahead. Gate two on the inside. He can bounce to the front and dictate. But he also has to break new ground if he's to win. He's a nine-year-old by Aussie reckoning, and no nine-year-old has won the cup. He also bids to become only the sixth multiple winner of the race and also his weight nine stone three. He attempts to become only the fourth winner in 50 years to carry nine stone or more. The Andrew Balding train Spanish mission has passed umpteen vet checks recently, but he's got through them and he's reportedly looking and moving well. At his best, he would give it a real shake. But I have left mentioning the star of the show to last, Incentivize. The former Queensland bush horse, he was beaten in a Toowoomba maiden only last March. Now he comes into the biggest race in Australia with nine consecutive wins on the board and he could start the shortest price favourite in 90 years. Yes, he's untested at two miles and he carries a penalty, but his Caulfield Cup win was stunning and Black Caviar's trainer Peter Moody is saddling him. It's a great story. I know it's a bit boring, but I am breaking my personal code of conduct by tipping the favourite in the Melbourne Cup. I go for incentivise to beat Spanish Mission and Great House as an each-way play if considered necessary. An unusual year, a 10,000 crowd only expected at Flemington, not the strongest race on paper, but yet again, it will stop the nation. Well, one nation at least. Thanks to Jim McGrath. Jane, any horse that catches your eye for the Melbourne Cup this year? I think there's a sneaky one down the bottom and the reigning champion is very much up the top. <laughs> Who's this? I loved how you said sneaky one down the bottom. Who is it? Sir Lucan. I was so disappointed with him in the St. Ledger. I think this guy 
had a reputation in Ireland this year. He was second in the Gordon Stakes at Goodwood, ran a huge race, beaten just half a length by Ottoman Emperor, who came out on the Irish St. Ledger. I know you can't maybe take the form literally and translate it across to Australia, but he was fourth in the Voltage, beaten less than two lengths. Um, Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott have him, and I think 7-12, Glenn Boss on board, looking for his fourth Melbourne Cup. Just don't forget Sir Lucan. I know he doesn't have an ideal draw in 18, but he was considered nearly Group 1 calibre stayer over here. Breeders' Cup now. Um, that kicks off uh, Friday, Saturday at the end of this week. And uh, first of all, Paddy Toomey has landed out stateside. And uh, he sends out Pearls Galore to uh, try and win the mile off the back of a good run in France. I spoke to him a little bit earlier and asked him how she travelled over. She's travelled over really well. Um, she's in good form. Claire, uh, Carol, and Julia Crow travelled with her, and uh, you know she's in great order. They, they, they rode her around the, the barn there today, and she's she's well and she's fresh and she's looking forward to getting out on the track tomorrow. What about um, about Del Mar? About the the likely ground and the track itself? Do you think, or do you, do you hope will suit her? I, I think so. Look, I think of all the tracks. In America, this one is ideal for her if she gets, you know, a reasonably low draw. She's not great big. She loves fast ground. Um, she's got that six furlong. You know, she's this. She's the the the. She's able to sprint like a sprinter and stay a mile. You know, what I mean, she's mm. tactical speed. Um, and I think around the track like this, I mean, the straight here is two hundred and eighteen meters. I think so. Around the track like this, she'll be able to travel at the pace and quick and readily. And I think. Um, she loves fast ground and as I say she's not great big so she'll be nimble and tight around the tight track I think it'll suit her very well say she loves fast ground so I take it the, the, the run in the foray you must have been half delighted with given conditions well, yeah well the owner asked me there was a consideration not to travel because all year I stayed away or all her career barring, barring once last year I've stayed off heavy ground or soft ground because I think she wants faster ground Um. But I felt that if she was going to come to the Breeders' Cup, she had to go to France regardless of the ground. And, you know, if she ran well in France, we would take her chance. But uh, And she did, but I was concerned about her going to France running on yeah. heavy ground. So that that was just a timing thing, was it, Paddy, that you wanted to get a, another run into her between the Matron and the Breeders' Cup? Well, uh, I wanted to try and win the Breeders' Cup first and foremost. I mm. mean, she ran very well in the Matron. She, she'd won the Brownstown. She'd won the Ferry Bridge with a penalty. She'd earned a race with crack at the Matron, and she nailed it. You know, she went very close to that. Mm. And you know, the next step, she's French bred. Her owners are based in France, and uh, the foray was definitely. I mean, you know, she'd had an entry in it, and I'd entered her in it the year before, even though we hadn't gone. And the foray was definitely a race I thought would suit. I was hoping that the ground would have been good ground rather than slow ground that she ran at. But uh, I felt that you couldn't go from the Matron in Ireland straight to the Breeders' Cup. You know, we had to take in the Farrier on route. I thought that if she was first or second in the Farrier, I thought that would leave her, you know, with a good enough, you know, she'd, she'd earned the right to travel to, to Del Mar, I thought. How, is there a specific way, you know, and like you say, the draw is going to be a, be a key here, but is there a specific way she has to be ridden to be seen to best effect? No, definitely not. Um, she's 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 forward going and she likes to get on with things. She's got good gate speed and uh, she likes to race prominently. But you know she can she walks from behind at home and, and even in some of her races she's come from behind in the in the brownstone she did. But she likes quick tempo and she likes to come out those gates fast and rock along and you know. Um, but she's very she's very versatile. You know she's she's not one dimensional at all. 
And I see you mentioned that it'd be, be special for you to have a, a Breeders' Cup winner at Del Mar because of the time you spent spent there when you were a fair bit younger. What what was behind that? Oh, look, a, a winner, any, a, a winner, a winner, any anywhere at any time. Uh, we're looking for every time we go out, we want to win. And um, I think some somebody asked me, you know, about I spent the summer here in two thousand and two. With, with Laura de Saro, just basically pupil assistant riding the pony, etc. Mm. And she had some very nice horses, Astra, Zeri, Dublino. Um, and it was just nice to be coming back to California, nothing more than that, you know. I don't mind where the races are. Uh, we like to win. <laughs> You'll take a Breeders' Cup win and where, 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 <laughs> wherever it is, right? Um, wherever. Yeah. If I was on the moon, I got her first. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, listen, wish you all the best with her. But I hope you get the draw you want. And um, yeah, all, all the best on Saturday. Thanks very much. How do you assess with your Irish hat on, Jane, the level of the form that his filly has shown in this season in particular? Well, I suppose she's been quite cleverly campaigned in that every race she's ran in has been a target. Whereas in contrast, I suppose Mother Earth has won a classic at the very start of the year and has had a heavy campaign and comes in here. The pair of them were very closely matched in that uh, matron stakes, which was a little bit of a messy race, but that said, Pearls Galore ran fair and didn't get interfered. She then went to France and I think unfavorably heavy ground and ran a very good race behind Space Blues. And she definitely deserves her place in the lineup. She's got tactical pace to get her position She's effective at a shorter distance. And I think for a lot of the European challengers, Delnar is not going to suit. I don't think it's going to imp- impede Pearl's Glory's chance too much. So Paddy Toomey's been operating at a seriously high strike rate all year. I think something like 30% here in Ireland. He's had multiple stakes winners. And um, he, he nearly, nearly secured the group one with Pearl's Glory twice this year. Could he do it at one of the biggest carnivals in the world? It's not beyond the realms of possibility. Jane, all you need is to, to send us away, hopefully, with a winner. You know, Tom, I'm on a very bad run with the tipping at the moment, and you would think Don't... the logical thing would be to go and pick an odds-on shot at Hereford. But no, I'm going for the Melbourne hiding, Cup. That's a hiding to nothing. <laughs> Hang on, although <laughs> probably so is the Melbourne Cup, so there you go. Have you given away already in our little chat about the Melbourne Cup who this is? If I had if I had a few shillings to go on each way in such a big field, it would be obviously Sir Lucan because I've made my point about him. But I do feel that Spanish Mission has a major chance as well. Look, not since McCoyby Diva in 2005 has a horse carried nine stone more or more to win uh, a Melbourne Cup. But Spanish Mission is a high-class horse. I'm glad he's got to get the run for Andrew Balding and Team Valor and Gary Barber. And with Craig Williams aboard, he'll know his way around. And you know what trends are, are made for, don't you? They're made to be broken. Broken. They are indeed. Um, Good stuff. Spanish mission round about second favourite at the moment, or is second favourite, clear second favourite, for the Lexus Melbourne Cup, 4am on Tuesday. Jane, a pleasure as always. Thank you very much indeed. Always a pleasure, Tom. So much happening. It's great. And Nick will be back tomorrow. There'll be lots of updates from Del Mar, where he is based for uh, this week, right the way through until uh, Sunday Monday next week. And he will chat to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.